Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Pastor Hunter and Liz Howard, and uh, for RJ, who's not here, one of my favorite leaders, uh, your faith and your faithfulness uh, and the honor of the privilege of speaking to you on this Pentecost Sunday on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. We also have some friends with us, uh, Cindy Miller, who is Puerto Rican. And um, one of our church plants was in Tallahassee, Florida. And that church has planted churches and sent ministries all over the world. And her husband is one of my good friends who took over the church after us. And so Cindy is here with us visiting. Her son Noah is here. And so we're just thankful that they could be with us uh, for this time. And I get to speak to you about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. Pentecost, the Hebrew. Shavuot. You speak any Hebrew? Shavuot. It means weeks. You know, so Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. It's the Feast of Harvest 50 days after Passover. You had Passover for the Jews. Uh, then you have 50 days, and they celebrated weeks, or Pentecost. For us as Christians, Jesus comes, Passover is the cross, the sheaf of first fruits. three days later is Jesus at the resurrection. 50 days later is Pentecost. So for us, we don't celebrate the giving of the law and uh, the, the different Hebrew history alone. We celebrate... Right, Jesus' victory and enthronement, his ascension and sending of the Holy Spirit to birth the church and to send us forth as representatives of his. 50 days, 40 days Jesus spent with his disciples and then 10 days they sought his face to get to Pentecost, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you this morning about three things, remembering your history and spiritual heritage, we're going to remember some things first, then we're going to refocus on the purposes of the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to look at receiving more of the Holy Spirit's presence and power to walk out of here and honor the Lord. So 2 Timothy 1, I want to begin, I've had a burden as I've traveled, traveling apostolically, prophetically to serve churches, been to over 40, 50 nations, um, helping church plants, serving pastors. Uh, we have a full-time travel itinerant ministry. Um, and so in the process, I get to seek the Lord in December, January, February each year for his heart, for his burden. What is the Spirit saying to the churches? So I actually was coming here because I had a burden of some things to share, but it's Pentecost. So I have to connect with that because you cannot miss an Easter or a Pentecost message. But I have to begin with my burden, with what the Lord has given me. And that emphasis is coming from 2 Timothy 1. I have my 55th birthday and I'm feeling older. We're going to look at Paul the Apostle with the last things he had to say when he knew he was going to die. What does an older generation do and say when their time is about done so the younger generation can carry on the power and the purposes of God? Then we're going to look at some scriptures on the Holy Spirit from John the Apostle. You may not understand, but he was the last apostle to write. Everyone else was dead when he wrote his gospel and his epistles. All the other apostles had been killed. He alone was alive. 
And he put at least a fourth of the emphasis on teaching on the Holy Spirit that none of the other apostles wrote about at the beginning of their ministry. And so we're going to take a look at the old men's view of the Holy Spirit to pass it on. Because my burden this year is for you to embrace generational faith. And the history and heritage we have of the word and spirit as God's people. And that's, that's the burden. Remember our history and spiritual heritage. 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 8. He's saying, I'm reminded, I'm remembering, I'm recalling. For this reason, I remind you. I'm reminded of the sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother and then it was in your mother. Thank God for generational faith. I'm persuaded it's now in you, grandson. Timothy, for this reason, I remind you. Everybody say, remind. Remember to fan into flame, to keep blazing, to stir up the fire and the gift of God. The gift of God is the Holy Ghost. And with the Holy Ghost comes spiritual gifts. They're in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. It literally says cowardice. It's a military term. We're not to be afraid. We're not to be timid. We're not to be cowards with the intimidation of the world, the flesh, and the devil, because we have a spirit of power. We have a supernatural love, and we have self-discipline. We have a sound mind. We can have healthy thoughts and emotions by the Holy Spirit renewing the spirit of our mind and our soul. But it doesn't end there. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, to testify or be witnesses about the Lord Jesus or ashamed of persecuted Christians or of older Christians that have sacrificed their lives for the gospel, the prisoners of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of them. The shame and fear seems to hinder younger generations. And we're going to lose that today. He goes on to conclude in 11 through, um, to through 14. He says, I know who I have believed, knowing God. And then he says, I want you to keep the apostolic pattern, the pattern of sound words that you heard from the apostle Paul. And I want you to guard the gift. I want you to guard the good deposit, the spiritual heavenly treasure with the faith and love of Christ. Guard this good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. Guard it with the one who dwells, who lives, who is at home in you. It's the last thing he's going to preach and teach the younger generation. He says, you got to remember our history Man, you got to remember where we came from. you got to remember Bible history and Christian history, revival history, mission history. And you got to stir up the stuff that's been given to you. you got to have a fire of the Spirit. you got to have a life of gifting, overflowing. You've got to have this spirit of power and love and a spiritual mind that makes you different from everything in the world. And the only way to guard and protect the treasure supernatural treasure God gives is by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've got to remember some stuff and not forget, my friends. We've got to remember. So you've heard my generational faith, the older perspective of Paul and John, this burden, a little bit about my journey, about 12 or 13. My, uh, my father, my grandfather were pastors. My other two side of the family was uh, football players and coaches. Um, So I've been a preacher and a football coach. I played college football. I was just a backslidden carnal guy till the Holy Spirit filled me. 
and changed me and started affecting athletes and coaches, everyone that was around us back in those late 80s and early 90s. But at 12 or 13, I met Jesus at Christian summer camp. Life became different. I would open the Bible and Jesus wasn't talking to someone else. He was talking to me at 13. I would spend time alone every day wanting to pray or worship and listening for his voice. But there was a problem. I had met Jesus and put my faith in him, but I was afraid. I was ashamed of the Lord and of the scripture and of my faith. I was scared to tell anybody in my life or around me about the Lord. I couldn't understand and I struggled and it was Friday, July 28th, 1989. Jesus walked into my bedroom while I was backslidden. And I saw his glory. And I encountered and experienced him when I wasn't looking for him. And it changed the direction of my life. The problem was I spent almost an entire year asking pastors, asking people I thought were Christians about my encounters and experiences because I didn't understand them and nobody could explain them to me, show me scripture, and they all made excuses and explained them away. And so I found myself backslidden in early 1990 at a bar partying with football players from the Florida Gator team in Gainesville and the Holy Spirit fell on me in a bar. One of the most famous football players, everyone would know their name, had the first satellite phone I'd ever seen. It was, it was about this big <laughs> to talk to his agent. One of the first pics of the, you know, and everybody's drinking with their, we didn't drink with the, we drank with the pitchers. And the Holy Spirit falls on me. And I begin to get convicted of sin looking in empty eyes and I struggled for the next week and I met someone who took me to a church plant a four square church plant 14 people in the room me looking around going what's happening here they had they had on the wall they had wheelchairs and crutches and braces and stuff they hung on the wall and I went what is this and they started praying for people with headaches and different issues. And I'm looking around going, what's happening? And then he started talking about the same God that meets us in presence and healing is here to fill you today. And I went, I don't know what that is, but I want it. The problem was I brought a whole line of backslidden football players. And I, we had to look intimidating to this pastor that was about yay tall. So they laid hands on us and invited us back to his house for food. And after we ate and after we talked and after he opened the scriptures to show me some of the scriptures we're going to talk about today, they put on worship and I felt the Holy Spirit fall on me. And I began to weep. And one of my football friends was arguing with this pastor intellectually. And I, I was very kind as a new hungry Christian. And I said, shut up. And he was half my size, and I was little compared to my other friends. I said, shut up. I said, I don't know what it is, but I need it desperately. I don't know what it is, but I've heard about it. I've experienced it in dreams. I need God's presence and power in my life. And we were prayed for that night. I was never the same. 
I didn't have the backsliding and the up and down. I didn't have the discouragement and distraction the same way. I didn't have cowardice. I found myself standing up in human sexuality class as a health major and disagreeing with the professor and the whole debate of perversion and and standing publicly to proclaim Jesus. And then people started getting saved and spirit-filled. And I went, this is different. I was a Baptist boy that was backslidden. And I met the one true living God. And I was never the same. Old Testament promises and prophecies. You know, at that time, I would sing the old songs, the Mylon Lefebvre. I'm not getting far in my notes, but that's okay. We would sing more of Jesus. Break my heart and change my mind. Cut me loose from ties that bind. Lead me as I follow you and give me strength of your spirit to follow through. More, I want to be more like Jesus. And I found myself praying in the evenings. The second verse, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Gently overflow my cup. Touch my eyes and let me see me and you and you and me. More of Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And it was a time where the spirit was moving and I found Keith Green music. All this stuff is old to you guys, but it was new to me in that generation. And we would sing Rushing Wind from the day of Pentecost. Blow through this temple, blowing out the dust and the flesh within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I'm born again. I won't live for you. Man, it was life-changing to go through that. Do you know there's Old Testament promises and prophecies about our heritage and our history with the Holy Spirit? Old Testament ones. There are two sets of promises and prophecies. There are those of the new birth or of the Holy Spirit coming into you. And all of those promises and prophecies, the chapters in the Old Testament, are related to judgment. If the Holy Spirit comes into you and you're born again, the judgment is removed from your life. But there's another whole set of promises and prophecies about a baptism, about an outpouring, about the Spirit not coming into you but coming on you. And every one of those is related to restoration or harvest. And you come to know when you search the scripture, it's not hard unless someone wants to argue it because it's all over the book. The spirit is in you for you, but the spirit comes on you for others. He's in me for my intimacy and for my salvation, but he comes on me for ministry and powerful witness for other people. They're two very different things. Jesus teaches the new birth and the spirit in you in John 3 and 4 when he teaches the new birth necessity and then the woman at the well when he teaches on the Holy Spirit that the water I give you will be a well within you, the spirit within you, the waters of life. But in John 7, he stands up at tabernacles when they talk about the outpouring of the spirit and water and they're pouring water from the pool of Siloam all over the front of the temple and Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty... Come to me and drink, and you'll never thirst again. And it says, this he spake of the Holy Spirit that had not been given, but would come upon them. And he said, if the Spirit outpours on you, there will be rivers of living water that flow out. People always say, oh, this Holy Spirit stuff is just from the last century. I go, I was reading Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. He goes, I walk into my church. He's preaching on the indwelling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I walk in my church. I see people who do not have life. They're dead. I see people who have life. 
but health and vigor, vitality, they have not. And I see people that have health and supernatural life. They have life and life more abundantly. He said, never be satisfied with the sip that saves. Let's go on to a baptism of holiness and fire that buries the flesh, raises us in the likeness of Jesus, that empowers us and inflames us as witnesses for usefulness and increase in the kingdom influence on other people's lives. Ah, I don't want to be satisfied with what's behind us. In you and on you. God, they're so important for us, but there's more Old Testament insights. So you have the in you, Jeremiah 31, I'll put my law within you. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. But then in Joel 2, he's saying, I'm going to put my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to cover you with it. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's in you for you. It's on you for others, right? Then it goes on. So to understand the Holy Spirit, you have to understand creation. The Holy Spirit is the first part of God, the first person of the Trinity introduced us. Darkness is on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. The Spirit of God is over creation and recreation. The word spirit, pneuma in the scripture The word spirit means wind and breath. So the wind that created the life of God, the power of God that created all the beauty and majesty of creation and the breath that was breathed into Adam and Eve so that they were a living soul are both the spirit of the living God. If you want salvation or you want revival, Ezekiel 47, you got to prophesy and preach the word of God. But then the wind and the breath has to come and breathe into the dead bones for them to live. The breath of life, all of creation, all of life, biologically and spiritually and all recreation and revival is the life of the spirit. You know, Pentecost is also Babel. At Babel, man said, we're going to do what we can do because we want to do it for our own reasons. And God said, no. And so all the different languages came and confusion and division and separation. But, when the, but there was prophecies in the Old Testament that God was gonna return his people to a pure language that would unite and unify and put them shoulder to shoulder in relationship with him and purposes. And when the day of Pentecost came, the opposite of Babel, people from every nation, every ethnicity and language. They heard what should have been confusing and they all heard the same thing from every language, the wonders and the praises and the glory of God. And he united us. But yet even greater, their day of of weeks was celebrating the giving of the law. You know, Moses and the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and, you know, all the old black and white movies. But yet what happened was, The wind, the fire, the cloud descended. God spoke. The people were rebellious. They went, we don't want God's presence or God's voice. And 3,000 people dropped dead while Moses receives the law of God, the word of God, the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. At the day of Pentecost, they surrendered and said, we want to know you. We want your voice. We want to submit to your will. And 3,000 are saved and spirit-filled and expand the kingdom with the law and the word on the inside of them by the Spirit. 
All of this are the signs and symbols. We know the spirit is wind and water and fire, anointing and oil, new wine. He's a seal. He's clothing or a mantle that empowers and covers us. He's the dove. Why is the Holy Spirit the dove with the olive branch? Because Noah, after the judgment and destruction of sinful flesh and worldliness and demonic oppression, he sends forth a dove until it can find new life. And it leaves with the anointing of the olive branch and it never returns. And God says that when the dove, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, you're the new creation. You're the new land. You're the promised land. You're the promised people. You're the one he's searching for that that new life and new creation could come out of you. All of this is connected to these signs and these symbols. But all these things of the spirit, these symbols, there can be more or less ebb and flow. You can have a lot of water or no water at all. You can have a big fire or you can have a little spark. Right? All of these things come and go, ebb and flow. And it shows us that we always need more filling of the Spirit. We always see Jesus and the Word of God are a rock. They're a mountain. They're substantial. They never change. They're there and they're going to stay the same forever. The Spirit's like this. Even, you know, here Acts 2, the power, the presence comes in. And Acts 4, they're begging God to make them bold when their lives are threatened. And the Spirit comes on them again. They're filled again. The place is shaken. I can't believe I haven't even used any of my notes yet. They probably have 25 slides back there and they're waiting to go. When is the first one going to go? Are we okay? What time did we start? See, I'm going to try to preach some and teach some. Help us, Lord. You preach the gospel. You preach the king and kingdom. You evangelize the lost. All of those are the same word, euangelion in Greek. The purpose is not for you to remember anything I said. You preach, which is an operation. It's not loud or soft. It's a function God does through ministry. When you preach, people are supposed to under, they're supposed to believe. Preach Jesus, preach gospel, preach kingdom, preach this good news. I want you to have faith and believe. But see, you you can't preach doctrine. You have to teach doctrine. You have to teach the teaching. You have to disciple the truth. Because the purpose isn't just to believe, it's to understand. So the enemy can't steal and take away. So what I'm attempting to do is yield enough so you believe. (laughs) But teach enough so the enemy cannot steal that seed, but it can bear 30, 60, 100 fold fruit. That's why I look like I'm like this. (sighs) Revival, history, missions. I I studied missiology, not just theology. The history of missions. The history of apostolic and cross-cultural missions, cross-generational ministry. I love the history. I love the influence in the day of thy power from Psalm 110 is quoted in many revival books and the whole Psalm is a prophecy of awakening and and the types of things we're talking about here. And my real emphasis was the Puritans hit the ground and, and sought the holiness of the spirit of God and it produced pietists 
to change the world with intimacy and prayer and fasting and experiencing the presence and small group discipleship and that birth, the Zinzendorf and the Moravians, one of my emphasis in study, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, a German, it's a mouthful. Rich, smart, famous royalty, backslides. University of Hale, he's going to an art museum and he sees a painting of the Eke Homo of Jesus, lifeless being taken off of the cross. And it says, Eke Homo, behold the man in Latin. And the Holy Spirit falls on him, backslidden in an art museum, and he falls on his face in that place. And the Holy Spirit says, all this I have done for you. What have you done for me? And there in tears in this famous art museum in Dusseldorf, he, he, he weeps and he cries and he repents and he goes back to their famous property and he starts taking in persecuted Christians being killed for a real faith and a living God. And the scriptures are true for all people, all places, all the time. And the 200 become 300, and they begin to do fasting and, and communion services on Sunday night. And in August of 1727, as they looked upon the blood of the cross, and they sought for the presence and holiness of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. No, there were people who stayed in that room worshiping and praying for a hundred years from that moment at that place, Hernhut. They sent more missionaries and church planters from their group, not much bigger than this, when the Holy Spirit came on them in 1720s. More missionaries globally in 20 years than all Christians on the planet in over 200. A hundred years later, they're still marrying in holiness, carrying the gospel to the planet, living for the lamb that was slain to receive his glory, and that Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. And of course, the Methodists, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, get saved because they're doing missions in Augusta, Georgia, and they're fearful and carnal, legalistic Christians. And the Moravians in the hurricane on the boat with their kids are worshiping and singing like we were earlier. And John Wesley and they, these guys look over and go, we're not even Christians. They get off the boat back in London. He taps this guy on the shoulder, he goes, where do you go to church? I'm storytelling. Have I quoted any script? I read some. I'll read some more. This wasn't even in the notes. Jackie, I'm sorry. Golly. You know what happened to them? Their little group became the Holy Club. Eight or ten on a college campus that spread and the great awakening hit through those young men in multiple nations, including this one. Because God was real and the Holy Spirit came and we were never the same. And each of them had multiple encounters, multiple experiences of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we've got to remember this spiritual heritage, it's ours. Evan Roberts, St. Patrick in Ireland. So many women, people of color, I, if I could teach a two-hour seminar, we would lay out names all over history, all over the globe. Willie One-Eyed Seymour at Azusa Street, the man with one eye that racism has oppressed, 
that went to Topeka, Kansas to sit because of racism on the outside of Parham's Bible study door and he would stick his head against the door. And when they would talk about the Holy Spirit, he would throw his head on the ground and start seeking God. And he went back to his horse stable. The Azusa revival was a horse stable. He took care of the people's horses. Did y'all know that? And the Holy Spirit would fall on him alone in the horse stable and he would... He would have that spirit of knowing and fearing the Lord, and he would put his head under the chair. He would do that in the horse's stable because of the Holy Spirit. He would feel the fear of the Lord, and he would put his head down here, and he would just start loving on the Lord and talking to the Lord until the spirit of holiness that raised Christ from the dead started filling the horse stable. And people all over L.A. are going, what's going on? And they just started walking that way until they're changed, and in Wales with Evan Roberts. A man at church turned to him as a young man and said, don't miss God. Young man, don't miss God. And he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, God's not interested in you at the church service. He wants to know if you'll come to the prayer meeting. We would say that gruff old man was legalistic. Evan Roberts went back, said, God, I don't care about the prayer meeting. Am I supposed to? Within a couple of weeks, he was going to two prayer meetings at different churches every day of the week because he didn't want to miss God. Until God said, get alone with me. And he locked the door. His mom and grandma start getting worried. He's not coming out of his room. He's not coming out. And when he opened the door, he looked different to them. They said, what happened? He goes, I've reached out my hand. I've touched the fire. I'm burning and I'm waiting on a sign. Within a week, Wales was prostrate before a holy God. The reporters all over the English-speaking world were going, what's going on at the Welsh? What is this thing? And they would say, where do we find this out in the country? All the coal miners and all of their families getting saved in spirit. They would say, get on the train, drive north. And when it hits you, you'll know. People start crying on the train. People start repenting. They start getting down low because of the weight, the substance of the glory and the presence and the holiness of God. People never the same. Do you know this is our history and our heritage, friends? These are our spiritual parents and grandparents. And God has invited us into it with grace with some understanding. Refocus on the Holy Spirit's purposes. I'm going to teach a minute so you have something to carry out of here with this, okay? The Holy Spirit is the comforter, the counselor. John 14, 12 and 13. I'm going to read you some John 14 verses. Why? Because John is the last apostle to write. And he writes mostly on the Holy Spirit, things that the others didn't record. Because he goes, this was the most important stuff Jesus taught us that we didn't understand that matters more than anything else. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in Jesus will do what I've been doing. And you'll do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father, the ascension and enthronement of Jesus. And because whatever you ask in my name... He will do it so the Son can bring glory to the Father. He goes, you know what? Since Jesus has been enthroned, he's going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you, to abide with you, the spirit of truth. And you can do greater works and your prayers can be answered. Verse 16, I will ask or pray the Father. He will give you another counselor 
This word is so pregnant in the New Testament. Every translation of the Bible uses a different word. Comforter, counselor, helper, guide, standby, advocate. All of these are true of this term. Jesus was the comforter. He was the one who came alongside and who stood with us. He was the one who was the counselor that was prophesied in Isaiah. And and he's the one who does all these things and he says, I'm going to leave and it's going to be better for you. It's going to be your advantage that I leave and go away. Because then he's going to come. He's another that's just like me. Everything God of the Old Testament is and that you're supposed to know about him, you learn through relationship, experience, encounter with Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God in the Old Testament. What is God like? Learn about Jesus. And then you go, but Jesus is gone. How do I learn about him? Jesus goes, all that I am, all that I have. You want to know about me? The Holy Spirit is Jesus now here among us. And it's better, it's an advantage, because if Jesus was here and he went home with Pastor Hunter, you'd be by yourself. You couldn't get none. You know, if he liked liked one of the ladies in the back that has a good relationship with him and went home with them to spend time with them and minister to them and their family, you you, you had no luck. But he says, guess what? When I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back. And everywhere you are or you ask, all that I am will be right there with you all the time. So so what are these functions? I was going to read more verses. That's enough for you. But he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit, I send, will teach you all things. He will remind you everything Jesus has said. All of that stuff is true. So the comforter, he's the parakletos. He's called to be alongside you and me. What does that mean? It means, I put it over here in larger ink so I could read it from this note to this one. Called to your side, pleads your case and cause. He's your advocate. He's your defense attorney. He stands before God and before the devil and before the world that accuses you. And he represents and represents you. He protects you. It's a legal term also. The parakletos in another form, the exact same word means encouragement. To call alongside, to encourage, to help you. God is the help we need. And people are like, well, you know, man... People who don't understand God or the Bible, they all go, well, man is a headship and woman's just a helper. Well, Jesus is the, is the revelation of God's headship and the Holy Spirit is the revelation of God as helper. It's a title of God. So man and woman are both made in the image and likeness of God. God is both together. So for order, he gives man a form of headship and he gives woman the form of help. The Holy Spirit's the helper. That's not a degrading term. The same word for minister, servant, or the office of deacon in the church is the same word. So are we saying those people are less than? That's not it. He's saying you're, like, you're supposed to be like the Holy Spirit, and you're supposed to be like Jesus to your wife, like he was to the church, and you're supposed to be like the Holy Spirit is to Jesus in the way that you... He's teaching us to be like God. Helper. Have you ever needed help? Did you ever need something you couldn't do for yourself? The Holy Spirit. To abide alongside, to stay, to never leave. The number one promise of the Old Testament, besides the Messiah coming, is I will be with you. Any issue, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He says it to every major character, I'll be with you. When Jesus shows up, 
He says, I am with you always. Because the Holy Spirit's coming. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of adoption. You're never alone. You're never alone. Every way you go, the Holy Spirit is there with you. Always. At your worst, at the worst place. He's all of those places. He's the spirit of truth. Wait, wait, comforter, counselor. Jesus. Isaiah 61, Luke 4. Jesus gets baptized to fulfill righteousness, and the Holy Spirit comes on him without measure. And John the Baptist says, the one I see, the Holy Spirit, come on. That's the Lamb of God, and that's the baptizer with the spirit of holiness and fire. Don't follow me anymore. Follow him. And Jesus goes out to the wilderness to take on the devil. So he goes filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, and then, then he returns in the power of the Spirit. So he's baptized in the Spirit, then he's filled with the Spirit, then when he overcomes temptation, he's walking in power, and the first thing he does is go to church. And he taps on the preacher's shoulder and says, can I read something? And they go, yeah. So they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and he flips it open. The first thing he says after this spiritual empowering, see, Jesus was born of the Spirit at Christmas at birth. The Spirit was in him. But at 30, the Spirit came on him. And when it came on him, it wasn't for him, it was for us. Same thing with you. And he opens the book and he goes, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. What does anointed mean? He laid his hand on me with oil on it and he's rubbed it all over me and said, the stuff I got, I'm giving to you. I choose you. Boom, I'm giving it to you. Why? And we know why to preach, to do all this, but we're missing something with the comforter because half of the anointing of that chapter that he quotes is his comforting presence in grief and disaster and loss. I'm anointing you to bring beauty for ashes, oil of joy, gladness when there's heaviness and oppression. And he goes, you know what? You're going to comfort those who are mourning and grieving a loss. We miss the power of spirit-filled suffering. We miss the power of the Holy Spirit to carry you through the worst thing that could ever happen in this planet, in the worst circumstance. The Holy Spirit's there for that. The anointing is there for that. Don't miss the comforting presence that's always there. The older you get, the more you understand spirit-filled suffering. You can't see the suffering and the martyrdom and the things in the scripture without the Holy Spirit. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Fill, fill with the Holy Spirit in Acts, and then they get stoned. There is a witness, a supernatural power to make it through the toughest circumstances of your life. Because God has an anointing to keep you, to heal you, and carry you. In between those two things I named, he heals people and broken hearts and he sets captives and prisoners free. Deliverance and healing is in there, but we miss the comfort, the encouragement, the presence in our pain, the stuff that carries where the world looks and goes, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. When you have the same bad circumstance and you have a living God, and a presence that keeps you in the midst of it. Comforter. Man, I only got to one of my five focused purposes. The spirit of truth. You don't have to convict and rebuke everybody. The Holy Spirit has a purpose as truth and honesty to convict and convince the people. 
The cross, the word, and the Holy Ghost have the job of convicting and convincing others. You don't have to teach everything. He's the teacher. You don't have to inspire. He inspired. He's the rem- I will remind you. The Holy Spirit reminds you of everything Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit is the memory of the Trinity. He's a remembrancer. You go, I need a ministry. I need a ministry. People forget the normal stuff of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word all the time. There's a ministry of encouragement and a ministry of coming alongside people just like the Holy Spirit does for you. And you come alongside and you encourage and you bless them. You remind them, you show them there's guidance and revelation. You can't understand the Bible by studying it with your mind. First Corinthians 2 says you, can, you can't get it with the natural. You can't know God. You can't get revelation. You can't understand the scripture. It doesn't work like that. And the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus and to empower us for purity, to empower us for perseverance and to be witnesses and ministers to see other people's lives change. The purpose and focus of the Holy Spirit, I like to say the Holy Spirit is your advantage. Jesus says, you know what? This is expedient for you, King James. And I mean, this is good for you that I'm leaving so I can send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I like the translation in the Greek. It says, this is your advantage. You go, man, I don't have what I need. You have an advantage all the time, everywhere, because the Holy Spirit of God is with you and on you always. I have an advantage. I'm not disadvantaged. I don't need any of this stuff. I've got God, right? And just so you know in here, the other thing I had there was this is your earnest, your guarantee. It says your inheritance. Man, I wish somebody was alive who could give me something good. God is alive and he's given you everything good. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance. He's your guarantee for every promise, for every prophecy, for everything that God has for you. I've got to conclude this. Thank God I didn't look at the clock. Receiving God's presence and power. You know, Spirit-filled Jack Hayford, as I was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jack Hayford, who passed this year, was the head of the four square it was an influence in my life. And, 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 and he taught this. Would you say this as we conclude? Would you say we cannot on our own? We cannot on our own. Say it again. Why does the Holy Spirit, why does Jesus baptize and anoint every son and daughter with the Holy Spirit? Why do we become spirit-filled? Because no matter how sincere you may be, we cannot on our own worship God as freely and fully as he deserves. The Holy Spirit, baptism and power, it expands your capacity for worship. God is spirit and they that worship him, worship in spirit and in truth. Don't get drunk. Don't be a drunkard. Ephesians 5, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spirit filled produces worship and singing and speaking to each other in encouragement. There's a capacity for worship. No matter how zealous we may be, we can on our own witness as powerfully as God, as Jesus deserves. There's an extension of a dynamic of witness with the presence and power of the Spirit. 
He says in John 15, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to be your witness. He's going to be the only testimony you need about Jesus. And the very, it's a period there in the very next verse, verse 27, he says, and you're going to be a witness too. You're going to testify. You're going to be a voice for this. Right? Where, 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 where? Okay, dynamic for witnessing changes. The power of God comes on you, Acts 1. So you can be witnesses. And no matter how capable we may be, we cannot on our own do spiritual warfare as penetratingly and effectively as God would direct. There's an expulsion of the adversary in spiritual warfare with the presence and power of God. Your prayers have power and get answered. Deliverance is the fruit of your life and your words. The old-time Pentecostals and the revivalists, Ephesians 6.10, opens the armor of God and it says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And it's quoting the exact same words of the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the words used in Acts 2. Acts 2. It teaches spiritual warfare when I cannot on my own, not by might or power, Zechariah 4, 6, which is military, political, economic, worldly, fleshly, might, power, power is ability, might is strength. But by the Spirit, the Spirit comes with a power and ability we don't have. The Spirit comes with a strength we don't have. See, you can't be Spirit-filled if you think you can do it. He's not coming to make a better you or a better me. I'm not anointed to be a better me. He's not self-improving Pastor Chippy. Saying, die, surrender, I'll fill you, and let Jesus live through you and walk and talk through you. So we can't, the adversary, ah, I always add a fourth one. Now, how devoted you are, you cannot on your own study, learn, understand, or teach God's word, disciple his word as fully or accurately as he desires. The worship, the witness, the warfare, the word come alive. You know, there were three archangels, supernatural, invisible, over everything that we see. One was Lucifer. When he's cast out of heaven, he started calling him Satan, the adversary. He was a worshiper. He was a worship leader. Heaven. There's another archangel. His name's Gabriel. Old Testament. What does Gabriel do? He brings the word. He's a witness of what God's saying and doing. He's a word carrier, a word bringer. Oh, there's another one. His name's Michael. Michael's not a worshiper. He's not bringing word. He's a warrior. He takes on spirits and fallen angels over nations and over continents and whoops them so that prayers can be answered and God's will can be done. Isn't it amazing that God calls us to reflect this ministry in the earth as simple humans? You are the worshipers. You are the witnesses and word carriers. You are the ones who have the authority to bring victory in the confrontations and the situations. Every moment of every day, not by anything you do, but by trusting who he is. God never replaced Lucifer, Satan. He made the decision that he was going to allow everyone who believed in Jesus and experienced his spirit to become the new worship leaders. We're all worship leaders. Worship and prayer and intimacy, experience and encounter. That's our inheritance. That's our... So, so what does this mean? The office is, Jesus was a son 
of God and a priest of the Most High. And as those two functions, he fulfilled every gift that exists. We want my gift and my thing and my this. And all you got to do is be a child of God and a priest of the Most High. And he'll do anything he wants to do through you. Jesus is empowering us with the Holy Spirit to be priests to our God. The priesthood of the believer is the mark of every genuine revival or apostolic missionary advance in planet. But it's not enough to be a priest to God, bringing worship and intimacy and sacrifice to the Lord as a lifestyle, but bringing intercession and mercy and reconciliation to the sinful and the broken and the hurting. But I have to turn. I'm not just a priest. I'm a prophet. You're a prophet. You're anointed for the word to come through you, spoken and prayed and praised and written and preached and prophesied to the people. Your family needs to hear what you have to say about God. Your neighbors need to hear. Your coworkers need to hear. It's not enough to pray it in silence. They gotta hear it. The Holy Spirit comes from that. And there's an authority, we're kings. We're priests, we're prophets, we're kings. These are the ministries of Jesus, the Reformation says, in heaven right now because of the ascension and enthronement. And he wants to extend that by the Holy Spirit through every one of us here. Will you stand with me? Friends, in this weird, relativistic, ambiguous world, the final issue of moral conflict, of resurrection life, come on up, praise and worship, it's not in doubt. Christ is not struggling to the seat of power. He's already on the throne. Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is the proof that Jesus is alive. The spirit of holiness that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 1 comes upon us, it comes into us, it comes upon us, and the fire of God comes to transform us. Our deep trouble in this generation has no cure, Tozer says, apart from a visitation from heaven. Only the Holy Spirit can save us from the numbing unreality of spiritless Christianity. George Whitfield in The Great Awakening said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the grand point. God is looking for believers and churches through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we only do the things that we can do on our own. God wants to do things through you that you couldn't comprehend if he told you. More about Jesus, Miss Hewitt wrote in 1887. Just more about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will and word discern. Spirit of God, a spirit to Santo, spirit of God, my teacher be showing, revealing the things of Christ and calling and inheritance to me. I've been hearing this for you all and for me from Jesus culture. You provide the fire and I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit and I'll open up inside. Will you be a sacrifice today? Will you open up as he gives us his spirit today? Will you let the love of God overflow and permeate all of your soul, your thoughts, your choices, your emotions, your memories? It's my favorite song by Jonathan Stockstill, Build Me an Altar. Just sense the Holy Spirit with you. Just believe Jesus 
right now. Believe. Do we receive the presence and power of the Holy Spirit by works and earning it, or does it come by faith? Galatians 3, 2. It comes by faith. He wants to fill you with presence and power as never before today. As Acts 5, 32 says, if you say, I want to submit and obey you, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey the leading, the guidance, the voice of the Lord. Now all we have to do is ask. Jesus, Luke eleven thirteen. 13, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the Spiritu Santo, to those who ask? To those who ask. There is truth mightier than eloquence. There is a spirit that's stronger than genius and ability. There is a faith that's greater than education and learning. And it comes from Him. Build me an altar in this place. Are you an altar? Is this place an altar? Build me an altar in this place. I'll send the rain. Build me an altar with your heart. I'll send the fire. Build an altar with your hands. He'll send the wind. The master has ordained the use of water. Spurgeon says we must also have fire from heaven. The fire of the Holy Ghost. The fire of God. Heavenly Father, right now, breathe upon us the fresh breath of life. Come sweeping through us. Revive your church. Revive your sons and daughters with life and power. Cleanse us and renew us. Equip us for this moment in history, for this hour. Remind us of our heritage. We refocus on your purposes. We receive your presence and power. Come breathe within us, Holy Spirit. Renew us. We confess our need. Remake us, revive us, restore us. Fill us with power and love and a sound mind. The question is not whether the tide and the flow of the Holy Spirit will come in our generation and day and in our city, but whether you and I will be caught up in that tide. It's connected to our glorious faith and heritage of the past. We have a solemn duty of receiving it and passing it on to others. Lord, today, send your life, your love, your presence and power. Come upon us, Holy Spirit, in holiness and comfort in truth to bring you glory. We trust you with it in Jesus' name. Cindy, would you, would you come pray a prayer for us? Would you pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us? Would you pray in Spanish and English for us? Father, I just thank you for el Espíritu Santo. Te pedimos que vengas, que nos llenes por adentro y caiga por encima de nuestras vidas, nuestras familias, nuestras comunidades. Señor, te pedimos por tu Espíritu Santo que nos llena con todo poder, con toda gracia, con toda misericordia. Te agradecemos por el regalo más grande y mejor del mundo que tú nos diste después de tu, tu Hijo Jesucristo. Espíritu Santo te invitamos
que llenes esta iglesia, este cuerpo tuyo que está aquí. Espíritu Santo venga. Que tú hagas lo que tú quieras. Que tú uh, uh, um, expreses el, el, el reino de Dios en este lugar. El poder de Dios. El amor del Padre. Espíritu Santo venga. Lord, we thank you. And we ask for your spirit to come and fill this place, fill this body. Take this body to the ends of the earth, that your kingdom may be advanced, that the works of darkness may be destroyed, and that the lost would be saved through your people. That was the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came and fulfilled his purpose. Your first son came and fulfilled his purpose. Now it is your will, Father, that all of your sons and daughters would fulfill your purpose. And so you gave us the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Fill us that your kingdom would come and would be expressed through our lives and through this church and your will would be done here on earth as it's already been decreed in heaven. Come Holy Spirit, you are welcome and we invite you. En el nombre de Jesucristo, que es el nombre above every name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.